0: So, I'm beginning a new sermon series uh, today. I've entitled it Justice. And if you've listened to me preach in the past, you know that my typical style is to work through a book of the Bible uh, or to work through passages of Scripture, looking at what they meant in their original context, what they mean for us today. But usually, about once a year, I'll do a sermon series that is a little more topical, particularly if there's something I feel is relevant to us or to where we are at as a culture. Last year, I did a sermon series on lament and suffering because a lot of us were dealing with suffering and loss, and so I wanted to take some time to look at what the Bible has to say about lament and how we handle our suffering, and this fall I'm going to be doing a sermon series on the topic of justice. This past year and a half has been uh, noteworthy for a couple things. One is the pandemic, and the second has been this increase, I would say, in our culture on the idea of social justice. Those of you, if you work for a school system or a large corporation, you are probably received some kind of education over the past year where they're trying to get people to stay in step with the way the culture is going on conceptions of justice. And I've been wanting to do a sermon series on this since the spring, but the problem is it's a huge topic, isn't it? I mean, you talk about justice and you look out in the world and there's people talking about prison reform and immigration reform and LGBTQ justice and women's rights and vote, voting rights and racial justice, and it just gets overwhelming. And so as I you know, decided to start tackling the subject, I quickly became overwhelmed by not only the range of subjects, but the amount of voices and competing voices and perspectives on the concept of justice. So I don't feel entirely ready now, but I don't want to keep putting it off. I want to dive in and I want to say, what does the Bible have to say about this topic of justice And before I dive into Genesis 1-1, let me give three opening comments about this. First of all, this is not going to be a political sermon series or a social science lecture series. Our church is not a captor to any political party, and I am not here trying to convince a church to become Republican or Democrat. My concern is the kingdom of God. My concern is that we be faithful to God and to his word and what he says. That's my concern. I don't want to get caught in the weeds of specifics like immigration reform or welfare reform, things that are not really my lane. I'm a pastor. I am not a politician. I also don't want to get caught in the weeds of social science. Certainly, I'm going to touch on theories that are out there and where these ideas are coming from, but I don't want to get caught in the weeds of things that I have not gone through school and been trained on. Again, I'm going to try to stay in my lane. I'm a pastor, and my primary goal is to help you to know Jesus, to follow him better, to be Faithful to him. And so I want to give you principles that will hopefully help give you a biblical worldview to help you discern what justice is biblically. How do you respond to the messages that you're hearing out there? So that's my first mention. It's not a political or social science sermon series. Secondly, I recognize this is a very dangerous subject to tackle these days. These are the sort of subjects that can get you canceled, you know. Can you get the internet mobs coming after you if you say things that are out of step? with what today's culture is teaching. But I think it's vital that we tackle the subject as a church. It's vital that we bring the Bible to bear on, on what justice is all about. And I want to say to you that I do not expect every single one of you to agree with every single thing that I say, and that's okay. But I do expect that if you disagree with me, that we would speak the truth to each other in love. Amen? I do believe that our culture is having a hard time understanding how to have productive dialogue when they disagree. But as a church, I believe that we should set the example of how to speak the truth in love when we disagree with each other. So, I would encourage you to view this sermon series as an invitation to a conversation. If I say things that you feel like missed the mark, if I say things where you feel like you have experience or or, uh, a perspective that would inform me, help me better understand something then I encourage you to open your mouth and speak to me. I encourage you to say, Hey, Eric, I think you missed the mark there. I think you got that wrong. I think you missed part part of it there. That's okay. Let's speak the truth and love to each other. My hope is that I'm going to speak with compassionate conviction, that I'd speak with conviction as to what God's Word says, but I would also speak with compassion, knowing that I'm dealing with people here. So... The third thing I want to say before I start, first of all, it's not going to be a political series or a social, you know, a a social science lecture. Secondly, I recognize this is dangerous territory, so let's speak the truth and love to each other. And then thirdly, I'm convinced that the Bible has the best approach to justice. And I'm convinced that wherever you see other justice movements taking root in this world, it's because we've missed the mark as the church, Right? If we were truly living out what God's word says, I do believe that people would see how well we love our neighbor. And there wouldn't be a need for other competing justice systems to arise. And so my primary purpose in this is to speak to the church. It's not so we can gather together and wag our finger at the culture, at the world for acting like the world... It's so that we can take a hard look at ourselves and see if we are executing justice the way God has called us as a church to execute justice. So it's primarily for Christians. It's primarily for the church to take a hard look at themselves in the light of God's word. But if you're not a believer, if you're a seeker, then that's okay. I believe there'll be something for everyone in this. So having said all that, let's begin in the beginning. I think if we're going to Understand justice, we need to begin at the beginning with who God is. And again, this is going to be more of a deep dive into one verse than looking at a lengthy passage today. So it's a different approach than what I usually take. But I just want to begin with Genesis 1 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Again, I'm going to be going through many sermons in this series on justice. And so I'm not going to try to bite off more than I can chew in one sermon. I'm not going to try to answer every question, but I want to begin where I think we need to begin, which is this, that God created the heavens and the earth. If you're going to understand justice, if you're going to have any idea of what it means to be just or unjust, right or wrong, you need to understand that God is the creator. And there's two things in particular this means for us. First of all, that God designed everything in this world, including us, and he knows how it all should work. If God is the creator, it means he's the designer that tree out there he designed it that squirrel running out there he designed it and you he designed you as well that's what it means that he's the creator that he is also the designer and then he knows how it should work a couple passages Revelation four eleven. you are worthy our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being you created everything God John 1, 3, this is talking about Jesus. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Pretty comprehensive, right? Everything out there that has been made was made by him, by God through his word, Jesus Christ. He created it. He designed it. And because he designed it, he knows how it should run. My wife is a tag sailor. She loves to go on Saturdays out to tag sales, find things, bring them home. And every once in a while, she'll bring home things like a lawnmower where brings it home and it's like, all right, how does this work? And I have two options, right? I can either just start tinkering and try to figure out and see like, well, maybe if I pull on this or turn this, it'll work. Or thanks to the internet, I can go online and I can enter the model number and I can search for a manual and I can read that so that I know how to get this lawnmower to work because there's someone who designed that lawnmower. And if I want to know how that lawnmower should work, then I would do myself a service by finding that manual and following that manual so I can get it to work. If God created us and designed us, we would be best served to understand how he has created us and designed us to work. What our purpose is. It's so important to start there that God has designed us. And if we want to know how to live, what our purpose is, we start there. Because, again, if you step back and think about it, how do you know if anything is good or bad unless you know its purpose, what it was created for? Right? How do you know that this thing in my hand right here is good or bad? It depends on the purpose, what you use it for. If I take it and start hammering nails with it, say, you know, this is a really bad hammer. Because that's not the purpose this was designed to do. This was designed to click through slides. And when I use it for that, I say, oh, it's good. Because you have to use it according to its purpose. If you don't know what its purpose is, what it was designed for, how do you know if it's good or bad, right or wrong, just or unjust? So again, we need to start there. Here's a lawnmower. He designed everything in this world, including us, and he knows how it all should work. Secondly, second thing it means that he's the creator is this, that he is the Lord with authority over everything. He created everything and he is Lord. He has authority. He rules over everything. Colossians 1, 15 to 16 says this about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Again, pretty comprehensive, isn't it? Everything was created by him and for him. He is Lord. Everything that exists, exists for him. To honor him. To serve him. To bring him glory. In other words, you're not God. You're not Lord. You're not in charge. The universe does not revolve around you. There is a God. He is a creator. He is Lord over everything. So that's the first And most important thing, when we're going to talk about justice, is to start at the beginning, that God is the creator. Therefore, he has designed everything. He knows how everything should run. He knows how everything should work, what its purpose is. He's Lord over everything. Everything was created by him and for him. Now, studies show that our culture is moving away from belief in a creator. You probably can't read that, but I just copied and pasted a Pew Research poll here that tells us... That over the last 12 years, well, not 12, but from 2007 to 2019, so in a 12 year span, the the number of people who identified as Christian in America dropped from 78% to 65%. Okay, so in a 12 year span, a 13% drop in those who identify as Christians. And on the flip side, the number of people who are religiously unaffiliated, who call themselves, you know, who are called the nuns by the N O N E S, by the Pew Research Center rose from 16% to 26%. A 10% increase in those who would say they are religiously unaffiliated. Now, there might be a belief in God among the religiously unaffiliated, but it's not a belief in the Christian God, they're saying. They just, there may be a God out there, maybe may be a supreme being, but we would not call ourselves Christians. Okay? So, there's an obvious shift going on from belief in a creator, a designer, who we look to for our purpose and for how to live, There's an obvious shift going on from that to more and more people saying, there is no creator, there is no designer. I can live as I see fit. I am a self-creator. I'm a self-designer. I don't live according to a creator. I live according to myself. It's a message that more and more people are believing that says, I answer to no one, that happiness is found not by conforming to some external standard, some God, some church, some institution out there. Happiness and joy is found by looking inward. Who am I? What do I want? Look inwards and then give expression to that and then expect everyone out there to affirm whatever it is that you have expressed. This is the way the world is moving from looking to an external authority to looking internal as your authority and then expressing that and expecting everyone in the world to applaud and affirm that. Charles Taylor called this the mark of the age of authenticity. It's a big buzzword these days. He explained it this way. I mean the understanding of life which emerges with the romantic expressivism of the late 18th century, that each one of us has his or her own way of realizing our humanity, and that it is important to find and live out one's own as against surrendering to conformity with a model imposed on us from outside by society or the previous generation or religious or political authority. Sound familiar? This is the cultural waters in which we are swimming more and more. We're not going to conform to some external standard. It means it's important to look within and then give expression to that. Another way of putting it, Carl Truman used the term expressive individualism. He said, expressive individualism particularly refers to the idea that in order to be fulfilled, in order to be an authentic person, in order to be genuinely me, I need to be able to express outwardly or perform publicly that which I feel I am inside. I mean, this goes without saying, I think, for anyone who's younger than a certain age that this is, this is the way it is, right? It's not about some external standard. It's about looking within, figuring out who I am, what it is I want, giving expression to that, and then expecting the world to affirm and applaud that. That is the cultural waters that we begin with. If there's no creator, if we're not living according to some creator, then we are self-creators, self-designers. We can design ourselves and live our lives however it is we please, and no one can tell us otherwise. No one can tell us we're wrong. No one can tell us that it's not, not right. So my argument and what I believe the Bible teaches is that there's a better way than that. Why is it better to live as if there is a creator? Live according to the creator, as opposed to living as if you're a self-creator, just living however it is you please, doing whatever it is you want. And there's three things I want to say in particular about this. First of all, I believe that the self-created life, living as if there is no creator, leads to internal chaos. Might sound attractive at first, but it's going to lead to internal chaos. Now, many of you know the rates of anxiety and depression are kind of skyrocketing these days. There's many reasons for that. But one reason is this, I believe, that as you kind of get away from belief that there is a creator who designed you, and that that's what it means to live, is to live according to the creator's design, but instead you move towards a life where you just choose for yourself however it is that you want to live, it leads to internal chaos, to people very anxious about what it means, how I'm supposed to live, who I am. Because this approach is very confusing and fragile, I would say, being a self-created, self-identified person is confusing and fragile. First of all, it's confusing to look within, to say, okay, I'm going to look within to figure out who I am and then give expression. It's very confusing. We have very many competing desires within. I mean, even simply as saying, like, as you grow up, there may be someone that you love that you want to live with, and there may be a career that you want, and often those two things are not compatible. That you can't have both, that you gotta choose between them, and you have to decide which one's me, which one's really me, the person, this love interest, or this career, or having kids, or this career. These competing interests, these desires, as we look inside, which one's really me? How do I know? It's confusing. And over time, our desires change, don't they? The things that we desired when we were 16 are not the same things we desire when we're 26 or 36 or 46. As we look inside and say, what is it? Who am I in the inside? It continually changes. Francis Spufford in his book, Unapologetic, he put it this way, you are a being whose wants make no sense, don't harmonize, whose desires deep down are discordantly arranged so that you truly want to possess and you truly want not to at the very same time. You're equipped, you realize, for farce or even tra- tragedy more than you are for happy endings. Looking within to figure out who I am and how I should live is a recipe for chaos because our desires conflict. Some of you may have heard of a controversial book called Irreversible Damage. The subtitle is The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters by a woman named Abigail Shirer. Her book contends that we are riding a wave of what she calls rapid onset gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria is a, ter- a psychological term for those who do not feel at home in their own body, for, for men who feel like they should have been a woman or a woman who feels like she should have been a man. That gender dysphoria is a real thing, and people who experience that deserve our, our sympathy and empathy for the difficulty that is. But she says she's seeing this rapid-onset gender dysphoria among teenage girls. That looks at She looked, for example, at a study in Britain that showed over the last 10 years there's been a 4,000% increase in girls identifying as transgender. Now, that could be that, be that as it becomes more uh, something that's accepted by the culture, that more people feel comfortable saying, yes, I am transgender. Or it could be what she called social contagion, that as there's more influencers out there and more peers identifying in that way, that you have girls who are already feeling some angst about their bodies and, and who they are and coming to figure out their identity, more and more saying, okay, that's my, I must be transgender because I don't feel right in my body. And she, in writing this book, cautioned against that, you know, that again, this is the sort of thing that people's desires and and wants change over time, and is that they look inside, what they feel when they're 15 or 16, for many people, is not going to be the way they feel when they're 21, 22, but if they're undergoing irreversible surgeries, what's going to happen when they're 22, 23, looking back and saying, why didn't anyone tell me that my desires, my wants would change? It's confusing. Looking within for our own desires is confusing. It's not only confusing, though, I think it's also very fragile. To look within, to try to discover our own identity is not going to work. It's going to lead to chaos because it's a fragile way of living. Again, it means looking within saying, this is who I am, I give expression to this, and I expect the world to affirm that and accept that. It's a very fragile way to live because we can't validate ourselves. We need people to validate us. We need people to affirm us. We need the opinion of others, no matter how much we try to say, you know, you do you, you be whatever it is, and don't care what the crowd says. It's just impossible. If the whole world says that you're ugly, but you say, no, no, I'm beautiful, good luck with that, right? Good luck not uh, believing the opinion of the world. Good luck believing, you know, everyone else thinks I'm a terrible person, but I think I'm wonderful, We're relational people. We do need the validation, affirmation, opinion of others. So what happens when we try to just look inside and then give expression to that and then expect everyone to affirm and applaud us? What happens when people say, you know what, I disagree with you. I think the choice you made is not a good choice. There's a derogatory term these days that people use, it's the term snowflake, if you've ever heard that, the, the term gets thrown, thrown out there because it's, it's, it's a term that is saying that there's a lot of people out there who seem to be very ultra-sensitive to any sort of criticism, that if you disagree with them, that they feel like they are being attacked, that you are invalidating their existence. There's this outrage that happens instead of being able to just have discussion, dialogue about things. It's a very fragile way of living, to look within and then give expression and expect the world to applaud and affirm when not, that's not gonna happen. There's always gonna be people who think you're wrong and think that the way you're living is wrong. Again, this is what happens when you remove a creator. When you remove a creator and you try to live a self-created life, it leads to internal chaos. And secondly, I think it leads to cultural chaos as well. It's not just about internal chaos. Again, what's going to happen over the years as we more and more move to a world where everyone can say, this is what I feel and what's right for me, where the whole world is just saying, this is what's right for me and you can't tell me otherwise. Will it lead to harmony and peace? More likely than not, it's going to lead to more and more chaos, division, and hatred. For example, again, as I mentioned with the transgender thing, in 2014, Facebook offered... 58 options for gender in 2014 they changed. And I'd say this again. This is not meant to be ridiculing in any way. I'm just letting you know this is what the culture, the way the culture is moving, okay? Okay. So they offered 58 options for gender. And then they changed it a few years later, and they moved it to 14 plus a custom field. At first you're like, oh, okay, now there's only 14. But obviously a custom field means create your own gender, basically. It means you can enter whatever it is you want. You can express yourself however it is you want. Now again, let me say, there are men and women who experience gender dysphoria who do not feel right in their bodies, who struggle with that, and they deserve compassion. They deserve empathy. And if that is you, you are welcome here, and I hope you'll feel loved. This is not about calling out individuals or anything like that. I'm making a statement about the way the culture is moving as we remove any idea of a creator. We're moving to a place where we've blown by the whole transgender thing to the whole, you can create your own gender and be whoever it is you want and no one can tell you otherwise or they're doing violence to you. There's new videos out all the time on YouTube and TikTok and everywhere that just are people saying, hey, here's a new way you can define yourself. Here's a new way you can define yourself. A new gender pronoun, a new, a new way of saying it. These are, again, a list of a lot of you know, pronouns out there that you can use. So my point is this. Again, if we're all self-creators, self-definers, no creator out there, we can just choose for ourselves how we live, then who is there to... Can anyone tell you you're wrong? No. Can anyone tell you you are mistaken, that something, what you're doing is not right? No. If you're a self-creator or self-definer, who is anyone to tell you otherwise? Is this leading to freedom? and a better world, or more likely is it leading to internal and cultural chaos. That's where I would argue that it's going. Without a creator, you can't ground right and wrong, justice and injustice, if there's no sacred order, if there's no creator. It's just personal preference. It's an important phrase, right? If there is no right and wrong grounded in a creator, it comes down to personal preference. I feel like this is right. I feel like this is wrong. Okay. And that's as far as you can go, except if one wants to shout louder than the other one. No, you're wrong. This is right. No, you're wrong. This is right. If there is no creator, then, as it said in Judges, in those days Israel had no king, everyone did as he saw fit. That's the world that we are moving towards. If there's no king, if there's no creator, then everyone does as he or she or they sees fit. And there's no one who can tell you otherwise. But there's a better way, I believe, and that's the third point from this, is that true freedom and true joy and true happiness is found not in the absence of restriction and throwing off the shackles of conformity to a creator, but it's found in submission to our design. It's not the absence of restriction, the absence of a creator, but in submission to our design. The way I see it, our culture is moving more and more to where freedom and happiness is found from not conforming to any external standard, but doing whatever you feel is right on the inside, throwing off the shackles of parents, religion, society's expectations. As William Shakespeare put it so many years ago, this above all to thine own self be true. It's expressive individualism. This is what I feel, who I am, so I'm going to express that and everyone needs to affirm that or else they're doing violence to my character and who I am. That we believe we're essentially good people with good desires and therefore we should be free to live however it is we want to live and everyone else should affirm that. But I want to argue that true freedom and true happiness is not the absence of restriction. It's found in submitting to your design. And if you look around the world, you will see that this is the way the world operates, the natural world. Consider some analogies. Look to the fish. Okay? Okay? So what if the fish is like, you know what, I'm tired of this whole swimming in the sea thing. I want to live on dry land. Enough with all these shackles and restrictions put on me by my parents. I want to live on dry land. What is going to happen to that fish as he jumps out to live on dry land? He will die because the fish was created and designed to flourish in the water. What about the bird who says, I am sick and tired of being out here in the air. I want to live in the water. I want to swim like the fish. What is going to happen to that bird who says, I'm tired of living according to this, these, these shackles. I want to be free. That bird is going to drown. What about if you play the piano or any other instrument? What about if you say, you know what? I don't care about these rules of the instrument anymore. I'm just going to play whatever keys I want, however it is I want to play them. it's going to sound terrible. It's going to sound chaotic. If you decide you're going to throw off the rules of the piano and just do it however you want, it's going to lead to chaos and not beauty. What about sports, you know? What about the basketball player who says, I don't want to follow these rules, dribbling and passing and shooting, all that. I'm just going to do whatever it is I want out here. Is it going to lead to a more beautiful game? No, it's going to lead to chaos chaos. What about those of you who own a car? What about if you said, you know what? All these rules about maintenance, regularly scheduled maintenance, changing my oil, stuff like that. I'm not going to do that. I want to be free. I want this car to be free. What's going to happen to your car? Your car is going to break down eventually. Because everything was designed with rules, with laws, with guidelines... It was designed to flourish according to its nature. And when the bird, the plane, the piano player, the car goes outside of those, it doesn't lead to freedom. It leads to chaos and breakdown and death. Who are we to think that we're any different? You know who has true freedom on the basketball court? It's the one who has mastered the rules of the game and then can play beautifully, better than anyone else. You know the piano player who has the most freedom? It's the one who has mastered the rules of the piano and now can play anything beautifully. That's where true freedom comes, not from throwing off restrictions, but from submitting ourselves to our design, to the right life-giving restrictions. True freedom is not the absence of restriction. It's not throwing off a creator, living as if there is no God. True freedom is found in submitting to the right restrictions, to the life-giving restrictions, living according to your design. That is my argument. That is what the Bible teaches. And that's what I want to encourage you, that as you hear messages in the culture teaching you that you need to look inside to figure out who you are and then give expression to that, and then the world needs to applaud and affirm, that is a recipe for chaos internally and culturally. That true freedom and happiness and joy fi- is found in submitting to the design. To a God who created you and knows how you are to best going to live. And knows how our culture and society will best live. And you don't know that unless you read and submit to what he has revealed. First Peter 2.16, live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God seems like a contradiction there It says, use your freedom to serve God that's what you were created to do to know to serve God. if that's true, then all this talk about authenticity, finding your true self, your best life it's not going to be found by being a self-created self-designed individual who just says, This is who I am world it's going to be found in getting to know God and submitting to his design for your life And I know it doesn't sound as attractive as the message that's put out there of just like you be whoever it is you want to be. But if you look around at the world, this is how the world operates best. When the bird, the fish, the piano, the car, everything submits to its design. That's where freedom and joy is found. One of the passages we'll go over a lot in this series is Micah 6.8. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Again, this is just one of many examples of, this is what it means to live according to your design. This is how God has designed you, what your purpose is. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Recognize that there is a creator and that we have fallen short of that creator standard, that we need a savior, that Jesus came and lived the perfect life we could not live, died a sacrificial death on the cross in our place, that all who trust in him will have eternal life we'll have his holy spirit inside of us. We'll live be able to be empowered to live according to his design. John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. True freedom, true joy and happiness does not come from just casting off a creator and saying I'm going to look within to figure out who I am and how I want to live and then live according to that and expect the world to applaud and affirm. True freedom comes from living according to the Creator's design for you. I'm not going to go much further into that because I have many more weeks to get into what the Creator's design for you is. Next week, we're going to go from here and talking about the image of God and what it means that we are created in the image of God, how that informs our view of justice and what it means to act justly. But for now, I just want to leave you with that. There is a Creator. And true joy and happiness is going to be found in submitting to the Creator's design for you. Amen. Let me pray and then the worship team will lead us in responsive worship. Lord, thank you for creating us. Forgive us for our rebellion against your design for us. Lord, if this world just submitted to your design, there would be no need for prisons. There'd be no need... For so many things, God, because we would love you and we'd love our neighbor, but we have fallen short of that ideal. And as a church, we have also fallen short. We pray, God, that you would forgive us, and that you would help us, Lord, empower us to live according to your design for you, individually, as a church, as a society. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.